Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're hearing our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Ben and I are indeed a pair of automotive journalists. In fact, you can find Ben's work all over the internet. Ben, fill them in on where they can find your stuff. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, and Inside Hook. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as Nouveau Magazine and TechSpot. And I'm going to add another one, driving.ca. Wow. Yeah. I'm a bit intimidated. Yeah, I needed, to, I needed to add one more just to get that extra bump over you. You know what I'm saying? I do. It happens. We'll, 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 we'll probably call it even by the end of the episode, you know? No, I don't think so. I think you've <laughs> inalterably shifted the power balance between us, and I think that's really going to cast a pall over this, if not this episode, then the entire rest of the series. I don't know. We'll need to, we'll need to see what the, uh, what the listeners say when they, when they comment about our power dynamic as they do every week. That's true. Um, which is always a great – I love it. I do like seeing how people perceive the power shift in our, in our conversation. Or the people who think that we're actually two different people. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, Ben, side of myself, I would like to discuss with you a new car that I've been driving. It's the Volvo S60 T5. Um, and you know what? We haven't tr- we haven't talked about the S60 in particular for a really long time. I think since uh, 2017, based on a arbitrary search that I just gave a shot. Um, the Volvo S60 is a lot like the V60 you drove last year, although what you had was a cross country model, which yeah, had, like, so it was like a body. like a tall wagon. Yeah, which has like extra body cladding and uh, and like a little bit more ground clearance. No, mine is like a traditional sedan. Isn't that weird, driving a sedan these days? It's it's fun that Volvo's still doing it, you know? Like, And it's interesting, too, because we've been talking a lot about um, luxury car companies that kind of fit in where they get in. And last week, we were talking about the Acura TLX, and we were like, who who is this car intended for, and what is it up against? And I think Volvo is in a similar spot with the S60, as in it's not... I mean, it's a European luxury car, but it's not a sports sedan, and it's not overly opulent either. So, Sammy, what's your take on the person who shows up at the Volvo dealership and doesn't buy the crossover or the wagon and instead grabs the four-door? I, have, I can't even imagine that. I think that's such, that's such an interesting white space that the S60 fills. And I do think it's important that we discuss that they're all, it feels like there's a lot of automakers that are kind of lost in their branding or customer profile. Like, you, we talked about Acura last week. Um, I think we've discussed Lexus before, and I think we'll do it again. Uh, even Infinity can sometimes feel a little like uh, stuck at times, or or not sure of what their their ideal customer is. And Volvo is just among all of those things. In fact, I keep I keep thinking that we have this idea of Volvo being really um, safety and design oriented, and I think that's a that's a um, a reputation that they've built in the past. But I think every car nowadays is almost as safe as a Volvo was in the past. I mean, yeah, I, think I don't think everyone so. has the same, yeah, the same features or the same, you know, accolades as Volvo did. Right? I don't really feel like Volvo is able to claim any unique aspect of safety as their own. But design is an interesting way to look at it because we've both been really impressed with the inside and the outside of their crossover and SUV lineup. 
And what I'm wondering, Sammy, is does that carry over to the sedan? Uh, is it something that, you know, you look at it and then you look again or you, you when you park it, you look back at your car, which is always kind of a good sign that you've made a, a connection with it? Or is it something that just it looks nice, but not particularly different from other premium cars at the same price? Okay, yeah, I think we're I think we're honing in on what makes a Volvo stand out, and I do think design is part of it. The S60. Okay, let, let's talk about design. Let's talk about Volvo design. If you had to ask me what is the prettiest Volvo on on uh, sale, I would actually say it's the XC40, and the a Volvo derived design would be the Polestar One. I think those are the two prettiest sort of um, Volvo cars. W- would you agree with me on that or no? I think I personally, for me, it would be the V90. Okay. The, okay. The, the largest wagon that they make. I think that looks very, very nice. And I think the XC90 is also a really good looking SUV. That's interesting. I find that the desi- those designs and the one that and whatever uh, Volvo has penned for the, however you would like to describe the S60's design, are a little bit conservative, although still very premium looking. It's, it's an interesting way that they've managed to, it reminds me a little bit of like Audi in like the past 10 years or so, which is a good thing. I think a lot of people find Audis attractive without looking too garish or over the top. And Volvo has been able to design a vehicle that looks impressive without being obnoxious. Well, you know, I'm getting older, Sammy, and the older I get, the more conservative I become in my visual tastes, apparently. Or at least that's what you seem to be telling me. No, I mean, I do. Sorry. I'm just like so that. dismissive of my preference. I, You're like, well, I find, you know, it's it's interesting that you think those are attractive to the eye, Benjamin, but uh, objectively you're wrong. And it's probably because you're getting old and like these conservative designs. Yes, I didn't say that. I what can I play do, back the tape. No, don't, don't do that right now. I'll, I'll be okay. Okay. What I mean to say is. Uh, traditionally, when we get a car, when we when we speak about a car that is uh, eye catching, we think of vehicles that are, have like giant grills, uh, massive wheel wheel flares, maybe that weird coupe like profile. And Volvo has strayed away from all three of those like uh, trends. Well, there's a difference managed... between there's a difference between eye catching and between and, something and... you look at like it's an accident that you're driving by <laughs> and your eye is just drawn to the to the disaster before you, right? Like... Yes, I agree with you. I did say eye catching and not attractive. Okay. So I do agree that the Volvos are attractive. I personally think that the XC40 is the most um is the most attractive looking product in the in the lineup you think it's the v90 and the xc90 i just like uh, wagons and i like big wagons you know so that kind of pulls i i don't think that the v90 is is i don't know if i had to pick a volvo that's probably what i would pick if i was picking on aesthetics alone that's that. weird. I wouldn't call any of those cars like hot. Like that's a hot looking. Well, I don't. Car. What do you mean? Not. I have to drive a hot car. <laughs> like I can't. I can't appreciate something something aesthetically unless it's like searing hot. You know, like I can't. Something can't just be. I can't just find it beautiful or attractive. I guess you could. You can do it, Ben. Honestly, you can do whatever you want. Well, that's I what I thought it. at the beginning of the podcast, <laughs> but now I'm starting to realize that no, I'm not no. allowed. So, but the other the other aspect of design is not just exterior design, but interior design. And I think Volvo has done a really, really good job of maintaining a minimalist appearance inside the cabin, but sometimes to a fault by using their infotainment screen to for for a lot of controls within the car. So it's nice that the that the dashboard is is pretty clear, and that you know the usability of the car, the, the core dynamics of the vehicle, driving um, the steering wheel, the gear selector, you know, all that stuff. Is it's easy to use, simple, um, but putting a lot of features into the infotainment system 
is a bit of a of a headache because we're having to deal with things like um, trying to manage our climate control while on a on a sliding scale on the touchscreen while we're in motion, which doesn't seem like a very easy task to, to pull off. In fact, it isn't. I'd, so, I, you know, it, the, what you're saying about interior design brings up two points I wanted to make about Volvo. The, the first is kind of more of an observation about the industry. We've said it before. Designers would love it if the dashboard of a car was just an expanse of flat, smooth plastic uh, or not plastic, but some material, wood, glass, whatever, uninterrupted by controls or unnecessary displays. They, they just want simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. The user interface is not the forte of a designer. That is right. uh, that is a different uh, skill set that has to meet with the designers and figure out a, a compromise. And that often is, is starting to edge towards the flat black expanse of screens. Um, right. My second question, though, is... Does the S60 still offer that weird chrome log on the center console that you have to roll if you want to scroll through your drive modes? Indeed it does. Okay, because that is the, the, you know, we say Volvo's like, ah, we're just kind of like removing controls. But the one control they leave is the weirdest control in the industry. And what are the least necessary ones, at least in this vehicle? I mean, I don't have the Polestar package version of this of this product. Um, and my driving experience with the Polestar has been pretty um, average. I think it's a very good vehicle to you drive. You had the Polestar? That's what you're saying? Sorry. I'm not driving the Polestar. Okay. I'm driving the standard T6. It's called the R-Design. Um, it has been pretty good to drive. Not over the top. Not super sporty. Doesn't feel like a, a car that I'm going to really wind out on a, on a windy road um, or take to a track or anything like that. This is a very... Um, you know, it covers all the bases in terms of a, of a premium vehicle. Like, if you were a Did conservative really... person like me, you'd be really into these driving dynamics. That's what you're saying. I mean, it it does it feel like an appliance, almost like a Lexus? Kind of. Wow. Kind of. <laughs> in a good way. That's You in just managed to throw premium... shade on two automakers at the same time that are almost completely unrelated. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're doing today on today's podcast. We're just throwing these backhanded uh, compliments and insults. Everywhere we can go. What I mean to say is, it feels like a very well-built um, product, but nothing that makes me go, "Oh yeah, that's great. That I want to do that again," or "I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna look forward to driving it." It does the, it does exactly what it's advertised for. It is responsive to a to a point. It's not exactly the sharpest steering. Um, it has a really nice. Um, twin-charged engine. It has that turbocharged and supercharged engine. Makes like 300 horsepower. Sounds bonkers. I'm, I don't know if that's a real noise or if that's one of those performance sound pleasure. It's things. probably not a real noise. I mean, <laughs> we're at the point now with cars that I, 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 I get in the habit of rolling down the window, even in the winter when it's really cold, just yeah. to see the difference between what the car sounds like to people when I drive by and what it sounds like inside. And there's almost never any link between those two. No connection, right. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's, it's in a very good engine. Uh, in that regard, the transmission does the job. It's, it doesn't seem to be one step ahead of me or anything like that. It, it, it selects the gear when it's called for, and that's it. I'm just trying to say that it's not that I'm disappointed. It's not enthousi- This is not an enthusiast car, okay? Right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's not meant to be. No. Um, it's not, you know, we were talking about the TLX last week, which I exactly. think is, pretends to be an enthusiast car. Exactly, yes. It pretends to be an enthusiast car, and we've talked about like uh, some Lexus models with those F Sport design pack, F Sport packages, which are which are wild. They're like a little over the top, 
they 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 act like enthusiast cars, but the car, the rest of the car seems like I don't know what I'm doing with all of this stiffer suspension or yeah. It, there's very like little that. reward with any of <laughs> yeah. that. You know, not and, like the feeling of running your fingers across a chromed log that spins endlessly on the center console as you scroll from one drive mode to the other and then gently depress the log to select each mode as one has been trained to do from birth, Sammy. I'm, yes, as one has been trained to do, it is super intuitive to just roll that log. I remember uh, my first log rolling class as a child. I must have been no more than four or five years old when I was introduced to the Swedish concept of Chrome log rolling. And I'm just surprised it took this long to make it into an automotive interface. I agree. I mean, I, I, I mean... When we think about the the many ways to change drive modes, the log roll is definitely a memorable one, right? It's definitely the one we're talking about right now. And I think that for Volvo, that's a win. But, I mean, we've complained now about drive mode selectors in, like, two consecutive weeks. We talked about the the giant knob in the middle of the dash for the TLX. Yeah, that's too much. That, that's that trying too hard. That's like, that's like your friend who has a band or who is a stand-up comic and they have a show coming up. And you always know exactly when and where that show is, right? Like, they're in your yeah. face about that. And that's how Acura is with that, that, that knob. But the Volvo thing, I don't know if I'm exactly complaining about it. Because it's just super weird. Like, it's yeah. not, it's not it bad. Out. I'm saying that it stands out. It's yeah. unique. It is, it, is, it is weird, though. I mean, it works. Like I said, it does exactly what it needs to do. But if you were to look at it... Yes. You would you never would guess that that it that it had any function, to be honest. Like That's true. It's and like it's almost actually... like it's almost like a stress reliever, you know? Like, yes. like it's dappled. It's it's weird. It's like a golf ball gone wrong and then stretched out and chromed and then put in your car. That's right. That's exactly the perfect way to describe it. That's how they described that's the design. design yeah. yeah. They were like, okay, here, get this. You know, Jack Nicholas is really big with a certain demographic, right? And then they're like, I think you mean Tiger Woods, and they're like Shut up, youngster. I'm talking. (laughs) It's all Nicholas and Phil Mickelson at this table. Yes. Um, The other one, I was going to add, there is another physical controller in the the cabin. It's actually for the volume. So it's not like Volvo is completely shut out of physical controls. Just... Ones that we really like, like HVAC settings. and, and the Ones that are, like, super useful and practical. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And I will admit that the uh, that the um, gauge cluster, it's a, it's a big digital dash, takes some getting used to because it's controlled through these buttons, on, like a D-pad, essentially, on the, uh, on the steering wheel. But none of the buttons on the D-pad are, like, totally... Uh, descriptive like they, i don't know what they do just that's like, the new that's a new i'm encountering that in more and more vehicles where you're expected to guess like there was a there was a period of time where we had labels and if not labels at least a little infographic of Sakaima, like a, like an icon had, like, right buttons like a couple of like arrow like i think four arrows a circle button i didn't know what that did uh control alt delete yeah. No, I, I understand lines, why. I understand why they don't they don't label them because it allows them to be truly multifunction. Right. And remember how I want to say it was Jaguar or Land Rover. They had those buttons that changed depending on the context of the screen. Right. You right. Saw, right. That is JLR for sure. So they, it was on the steering wheel, and it had um, like a like a visual graphic underlay on the buttons. And when you would change context menus. The buttons would change labels automatically. I thought that was cool. Yeah, and and it's and and it's a dead end. Like no one else has ever done that, and I think JLR might have stopped doing that. Um, I'm not sure. I think uh, I drove the Defender briefly. Can't remember now, so I'll stop talking about it. Okay? All right, great, great uh, anecdote. I, I welcome more of those. Okay, we'll do. 
So, um, anyways, but back to the Volvo, right? A Volvo sedan, who's it for? Somebody who likes design but doesn't want a crossover, of which Volvo has, I believe, more? I would think so. I mean, right now, there's the S60 and the S90, and that's pretty much And we're not going to call the wagon – we're not going to call the wagons cars. No, no, no. I mean – I mean, yes, sedans. We're just talking sedans. Yeah, we're just talking sedans. Okay. So I think that there's two. Which is not, which is you know better than say Chrysler, <laughs> but yeah. uh, but not really, and, and Ford. But like you know, for the if you're aiming at the luxury crowd, you're you're a little bit of an aberration. Although again, if we're going back to Acura, they have two. one one sedan. Two no, is the ILX. 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 ILX is still, I think the ILX is still alive. And uh, if we look at a, a similar company, Buick, they don't have in in the same segment. I would say right. they don't have any at all anymore. Okay, so that's what that's where Volvo has has been like. Oh, we're gonna scoop up all these Buick these Buick buyers. Well, and I guess in, I guess in context that makes sense because, like I said, this car isn't like a hair raising experience. It's a very design oriented um, vehicle, and it works. It does. It, it it is like a very premium appliance. Something that you use every single day. It works fine. It works wonderfully, um, and it does the job right. Sure. Now, my product it cost. Um, Let's see, fifty-two thousand dollars. Okay, that's an average price, I think, for a well, that's car pretty, that that's, you're in three series territory, right? Yeah, you are in three. You are in definite three series, and you're territory. in decent three series territory. Very good, good three series territory. So here's so my you question: have to, You have to, and, and again, you're, you're, I'm going to answer your question. Who is this for, right? Well, my question is: Who buys this instead of a three series or a C class? Yeah, okay. well, I see class. I can kind of see it, but I, I, I mean, maybe if you're, hmm, I don't Sorry, know. If go the, back to that. I don't know if the, the drive of a C class is enough. Yep. To to really like squash the Volvo's drive experience, but I think right. the badge of a C class means a lot more. And I actually think that the design of the C class was pretty uh, is pretty elegant, um, and I think the Volvo keeps up in that in that regard as well. I think, uh, and if you've driven an A4 recently, those are actually pretty high-tech cars. It just feels like Volvo is competing and not doing a great job in, in, in making itself stand out. Somebody who has to be getting a, a, somebody who is getting a Volvo sedan probably isn't considering those other two products, which is a bizarre, which is a bizarre thought because but, those are kind of leaders. But, you know, if you can get those customers, if those customers exist, it's not a bad place to be. And I, I, no. I just looked up sales numbers for the V-series uh, – sorry, the, the 60 series. Uh, they don't separate it between sedan and, and wagon. Okay. But they do separate out the cross-country, which seems a little weird to me. So the cross-country sells like less than 150 examples a year. It's not – it's a very – In America? Yeah, it's a very sorry. A one hundred less than one hundred and fifty. Its that's best one, year was twenty sixteen, where they sold five hundred and seventy one, and that's the S sixty cross country. That's a big oof. That's the okay. sedan. That's the sedan that's jacked up. The weird one, right? I don't know if that's still on sale. I I don't think it is either. Um, okay. But if you look at the Volvo, just the the sixty series itself, the wagons and the sedans together. They sell decent. I mean, they sold fifteen thousand last year and not a great year, but the year before that they sold twenty. And you know, if you look at um, uh, cross, uh, sorry, XC sixty, which you think would be more popular, it sells thirty two thousand. So that's not a terrible gap between sedans and wagons and the much more popular crossovers. So Volvo no, seems a- they they found some profits there. I think. Okay, that's fair. Um, it's a. Far cry from its rivals, though, isn't it? Sure. 
Sure, but um, I, I, you know, like it, it, I, I don't think Audi's doing massive volume with the A4, are they? No, here I, I just looked up C class because I, I guess I like the C class. Last year, although last year was a slow year for everybody, twenty five thousand is not a lot. But the year before was almost double that, 48. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and I, I should point out the, the cross-country wagon is included in the 60 series numbers as well, I think. So it's... it's. I'm it, sorry, they took out the S60... Sorry, they took out the S60 cross-country, but they included the V60 cross-country? Yeah, because it was so weird, they couldn't taint the numbers <laughs> with, with this jacked-up sedan. You know what's funny, though? People forget this. When the vehicle that started all of this came out, that's the Outback, Subaru Outback, it was yep. it was sedan first. Right. And everyone's like, oh, you know, the Outback's a wagon. Well, not originally. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I, I mean, these, it's such a unique uh, body, like, I don't know, customer. That, and I guess we talked about this in the, in the bonus episode with, uh, with Bradley, but um, there used to be a time when they would make cars for literally anybody, like for three customers, and they... Pulled it off, but then some of these some of these products ended up gaining momentum, like the cross country or like the Outback, and we ended up getting um, much more of them to this day. And I guess that's what's happening right now with those uh, crossover coupes. And I can't help but wonder if like Volvo will, will get involved in that sort of um, territory of the cross of the crossover coupe. I think, well, I mean, they I tried with on. the with the S60. I just don't think it went anywhere. Okay, um, I I just think. Volvo is I don't know if Volvo is currently at a crossroads. I mean they're they're transitioning from their boxy phase that I think everyone knows and remembers from their from that to their safety phase. Now everyone is into safety. Uh they're in their design era uh, where they're establishing a sort of design um philosophy or design forward um design uh sorry, a design Say design forward again. <laughs> no. And then they're going to be moving into, I guess, a lot of EV space. Um, almost every one of their products is is a hybrid, is offered as a hybrid as well. And then phase and then, four is moon colonization. Yeah, taking a page so, out of Audi's book. I'm worried that we're we're actually in, in, engaging in a transitional era, era of Volvo, and maybe these aren't like these aren't the end product. Like these aren't the finished products, and I don't I- know if that's great or not. I don't know. I mean, I think the fact that we're even talking about them is important. And if we were to look back 10 years ago and you were to if you were yeah. to think Volvo would one day be relevant whatsoever for luxury customers, that would have been a not not the surest bet. I mean, this is a company that in that era was still riding a very old XC90 that was pretty popular, but the rest of the lineup was filled with a bunch of weird vehicles people didn't really want to buy. And by weird, I meant Things like the S80, which was a, an executive sedan that simply never took off in North America, but was still priced like it was some type of halo expensive vehicle. Um, right. it, 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 there were the, the V50, which was a not really that great small wagon. Uh, and, and, and other that fit v- a certain size. It wasn't like it was a very weird uh, like size format. But right? quality wise, and you know, price wise, it was it was very hard to understand. I, and my grandparents had one. Didn't and they share parts with Fords? Yeah, there was a lot of common engineering. There was still the C70 for the the, the convertible crowd. It was it was right. kind of a mishmash lineup. And you had, yeah, the XC90 sold well. The XC70 version of the V70 wagon right, sold well, right. but that was kind of it. Those were really yeah. all they had. And now they're a fully featured 
uh, automaker That's... with a, a, a very diverse lineup of vehicles that generally make sense. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, not to mention innovative powertrains. I mean, I, I talked about this twin-charged motor, and there's going to be an elect- there's electrified versions of, or uh, hybrid versions of these, plug-in hybrid versions of these these cars as well. So they're on their, I guess, like I said, they're they're. You think this is a complete system we've got? I think if lineup. you look, I think if you go back ten years and you put Acura and Volvo side by side, yeah. and then look at their trajectory to now. <laughs> I think Volvo has done a much better job in the sort of premium space where yeah, we're like we're we're not quite a full-on luxury company, but we're interesting enough to be an alternative. And I don't think Acura has made it there as we discussed last week, and their lineup certainly isn't as diverse as Volvo's and their powertrains are not nearly as interesting. So, you no. would I would not have expected that. You know, I got a uh, t- I want to quickly I want to quickly go on a tangent with Acura. I got an <laughs> I got an uh, an email about that new Type S today. Yeah, so did um, I. I didn't read it. Listen, man, it's on the list. We we got to talk about this because just for briefly, just briefly, how much more horsepower should the twin turbo that turbocharged V6 make? I don't know if it's twin turbo. I know. It's well, it's two eighty in the four cylinder, right? Yeah, two eighty in the four cylinder, and we weren't impressed. You weren't impressed with that. No, I, I think I would be happy with four hundred, but I think three fifty is the minimum. It has 355, so they've just made your minimal, your minimum, they, they've just crested your minimal experience there. And I don't think that's enough. And how much torque? Uh, 354. What? Yeah. No. Yes. No, that is, that is, that's no, that is broken, a mistake. Right? That doesn't sound right. It, I agree with you. It should have been closer to 400 and there should have been a ton of torque. If, if but I this get... is not even 100 horsepower and torque more than the and I'm sure the fuel form. mileage is like catastrophically worse, <laughs> like in comparison to the four cylinder. I'm not saying it's terrible, but I'm sure it's like not nearly as good. You know, if I can get 400 pound feet of torque from like nearly any Ford EcoBoost V6, <laughs> how come Acura's Type S can't match that? that I don't it, understand. I don't know. Okay, so that's a conversation for another. How much day. torque in the EcoBoost Mustang? I forget. Uh, the four cylinder. It's, yeah, I think it's like 350. 350, right? Okay. Yeah. Just wanted to be clear about that. <laughs> okay, but that's a, like I said, that's a conversation for another day. Um, back to Volvo. I want to talk about one more thing, and then I'll, I'll throw it to you in the car that you're driving. Volvo's history has been littered with some, some weird cars and also kind of like attractive cars. I'm a huge stickler for that entire 1800 series from the, the P1800 um, um, Coupe to the uh, 1800ES wagon, I think that's super cool. But if I was to buy, like, a, a front-wheel drive hatchback, C30. it would be the, C, the C30, right? Yeah, it's a sexy car. I had a neighbor who had one who parked behind my house all the time, and I was always making eyes at it. And it had, like, it had the, like, there's a, there was a version that had a body kit. I can't remember yeah. what it was, but it looked really good. And it's it shares much of its components with the European Ford Focus, I believe. And I think what you're talking about is the R-Design version of the car. Yeah, probably. That sounds right. And... It had a five-cylinder with a manual, I think. I know. It was a cool car. It's like a very interesting car. I would love to find one of these um, these days because I believe it's like the, the people dubbed it the Swedish GTI, and I think that's very fair. And it's The Swedish like interesting- GTI sounds like a Netflix show. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I keep thinking about that. And as much as we, we you said 10 years ago, you look at the, traje- the, traje- the trajectory of two brands like Volvo and Acura – would you have imagined Volvo to expand in the way that it has now? Definitely not. And uh, you know, a friend of the podcast, uh, Jeff uh, Jushmead, out on the West Coast, just bought a C30. And he'd been looking for one for a long time. And he got a pretty sweet one. So that's Wait, very I, cool. I need to talk to him about that. 
So I want to talk now about what you've been driving, which I um, I've had experience with a lot of experience with it in the past. So much right? experience. And I want to hear what you have to say about it. So why don't you introduce it? Let's go from from. So I spent a week with the 2021 Lexus RX 450h semi, and I know we often talk about Lexus uh, in in one of two ways. One, we're absolutely besotted with it, a vehicle like the LC 500, which Mm -hmm. is a fantastic luxury grand touring car. And then there's vehicles that we just don't simply don't understand. Like the, uh, I, I guess the IS is a vehicle recently that you didn't, you found to be lacking for uh, entry level compact luxury. Yep. Uh, in the past, I know that there's there's just some Lexuses that kind of felt out of time. Uh, I know the what was the uh, the GX. There's there's another vehicle that we we puzzled about and who's the market for this and why does it exist? But out of everything they sell, the yep. RX is by far the most popular vehicle they have. Trailed Absolutely. by the ES, which is in some ways the sedan version <laughs> of the RX. Sorry, I didn't even think the ES sold that well. Oh, yeah, the ES real? is a very, very popular vehicle. But the RX, Sammy, it's fantastic. And Wait. Yeah, it is. I think for what, it do- for what it's meant to do, it is something that I have been underrating. And I don't know why uh, I haven't had it at the forefront of my mind until recently. I think I just needed to spend the time that I had with it to really kind of cement its status in my mind. This is going to be a vehicle that I'm going to recommend to people who want a comfortable crossover and who don't care about cars whatsoever. This is going to be like – so for people listening – I agree with that. I agree 100% with that. This is a a product for for non-enthusiasts, for non-car people. That gets the job done. You're 100 percent right. So, about so that. for people listening, um, part of be part of having the the job that Sammy and I have is people ask you for recommendations on their cars on a semi regular basis, and most of the time they just want to have you confirm a choice that they've already made, which I think is how it works whenever you ask anyone for a recommendation about anything. So it doesn't really matter what you say to them, but there is a certain percentage of people who legitimately want advice on what they should buy, and most of those people. People are not – they're split between people who are enthusiasts and who are super engaged in cars and they have a very specific idea of what they want. And we, I, I talk to a lot of people on Instagram and Twitter who message us and have very specific questions about usually performance cars but sometimes, you know, like a fun daily driver. And so that's, that's a fun conversation to have because they have criteria. They've tried out a bunch of things and they have their own preferences and they know what they want. But there's another segment of people who still want advice but just don't care. Like, they don't care about the car at all. They want something that's comfortable, that fits their particular needs of space or fuel mileage or whatever, and is going to be reliable. And so, if you're an auto journalist like Sammy and I, you have two lists for every single segment in the industry. There's the list for people who care about driving, and that list is going to be different in the sense that you might recommend cars that are finicky or reliability isn't great, or they have, like, some, some part of them makes them impractical, but the driving experience pushes them over those obstacles. And then there's the other list, which is like, it seems kind of bland, but these are cars that almost anyone could enjoy for their intended purpose. Am I right, Absolutely. Sammy? Yeah, I agree with you. There are, these are cars that do the job. They are, as I mentioned, people want a car to get them places um, and either might be a, a cargo a cargo carrier, a family hauler, something like that, uh, reliable, um, and make you feel good. And I think Lexus can manage that 
really, 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 really well. It can, not across the board. But I think the RX is like the pinnacle of Lexus being able to do that. Sammy, this is a car. This RX, so the RX 450. I agree with you, though. I would recommend it to almost anybody who's looking for a car in this class. Like, it's just like, I need need a family luxury, a luxury family uh, crossover. I'd be like, first stop, Lexus RX. They sold, listen, man, they sold 100,000 of them. Last year during a pandemic. <laughs> it's that good. And the one I had is the hybrid, too. It's the 450H. And yeah. uh, it, it gets like 30 miles per gallon combined. I did not see that during the week I had where I was mostly driving around the city. I, I saw substantially worse fuel mileage. I'm a little – I mean not substantially worse, but definitely not, you know, great fuel mileage for a hybrid. But what I, what amazed me about the vehicle was how relaxing it was to drive. This is a vehicle that relaxed me to the point – where I was sometimes distracted by how relaxed I was and, like, forgot I was driving, which was not great. So, like, it is just so... The the steering is, like, incredibly detached. It's just... Yeah, it is. Like, you ever feel... Like, I feel pins and needles in my fingertips when I drive this car because I'm, like, it feels like nothing is... Like, my my hands are not attached to anything. It's like I'm running my finger across a just iced cake, like a birthday cake. Just to get some of that sweet icing on my finger. That's what it's like spinning the wheel on that RX. It's just it's the smoothest possible experience. And um, funny. It's, it, it, it's comfortable. Like, it, it, on roads that I drive, I drive, I have a very, there's a nasty stretch of road that goes over Mount Royal. Or yeah. goes through Westmount to Mount Royal in Montreal. And it's it's one of those neighborhoods where, like, the, the uh, average income is very high. But the city doesn't like to spend. It's, it's one of those where if they try to spend their tax revenue, uh, a lot of people argue with them about it. You know what I mean? Like a very engaged type of community. And right. uh, as a result, the roads never get fixed. So <laughs> so you end up with really cracked roads, potholes, that kind of thing. I took the RX through there and it was way, way, way smoother than a lot of the cars that I've been driving through recently. And I was impressed by that. And also... Um, the space in the RX is really decent. Like the second row, it's comfy. The rear cargo area, I hauled a transmission and a transfer case and a torque uh, converter for my the old ones that came out of my Jeep after we did the swap. I was taking them out of the shop. And I had no problem putting those in the back of the RX without even putting the seat down, Sammy. <laughs> so, um, but I will I- say, if you do fold the seat forward, I do have a bone to pick with the RX. It's not flat. Right. And at first that seems okay, but what happened was we were moving boxes to a storage locker and there's a lip uh, that yeah. results. And you can't push the box past the lip. You have to lift it up and then kind of toss it. And that's annoying and it's not something that I find in a lot of SUVs. So that's you know something that the RX doesn't do well. But compared to the rest of it, the, the practicality package is, is through the roof. And the comfort package. you know, And I also think it's not – it's pretty luxurious cabin – I need to add th- something, though. This car hasn't been updated since uh, the 2016 model year. It's been five years. It feels l- very similar to even the last generation product, which feels very similar to the previous generation product. That motor hasn't. That motor and that hybrid have not changed. It's like 306 horsepower. It's all you need. The, the, the transition from uh, electric operation to uh, hi- a regular hybrid operation is super smooth, it's, yeah. which is something that you can't take for granted these days. And uh, I didn't get it stuck anywhere. It snowed. It was icy. I didn't have any problems with the the all-wheel drive system. Uh, It does have the world's worst infotainment interface. 
It's got that slightly little... better in this product because it has a touch screen for Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. Yeah, but I don't use those, so I'm stuck using the touchpad, and the touchpad is the worst thing you can imagine. <laughs> there's there's right. nothing worse than that, and it really ruins what is an otherwise flawless execution of a very just perfectly okay vehicle. Like I can't <laughs> believe you being so high on this thing. Because in other ways, it's super bland, super boring, and... Sammy, when I drove the RX, every problem in my life just melted away. I think you just had a good week, man. No, I don't have good weeks. It's not like that. (laughs) Personally, you got a new client, a new publication you're writing for or something? No, emptiness. Black (laughs) emptiness. And then the RX. Who knew? (laughs) It's, It's honestly a very, very, very good luxury crossover that you will never have to think about you just put gas in it maybe someone at a dealership puts oil in it for you every two years i don't know how the how the uh service windows are are staggered for this vehicle but it doesn't matter because it's probably not going to break i have one thing i want to add if you're going to get one of these there's no there's no urgency with the latest model okay i just mentioned that touchscreen system with the um android auto that is the only thing that the 2020 and 2021 model years have and that's it i need to add one more thing if you're going to get an rx run away from the rx l models they are useless they have this third row that um that is use that just does not do anything for anybody right Sure. I haven't driven it, but uh, that's the general consensus on the L. Um, but I do think that any of these cars from this generation, I think it's 2016 and, and onward, are very good. And they all do the same thing. They haven't changed it drastically. I need to ask, did you have a F-Sport model or anything like that? No, it was, it was a hybrid. See, this is what they did. This is, the, this is what they did perfectly. Every once in a while, they give us uh, the media this F-Sport model, which absolutely ruins the experience. It's a harsher ride. Um, it has all of this like body kit and sporty stuff going on and I, it is completely unnecessary and it really muddies up the perception of the RX, which is, as you described, it's really relaxing, um, you know, jack of all driving a cloud, but a cloud that you can put stuff in. Yes. Like, like your family, family cloud, Sammy, you know, I, I'm going to maybe controversial, but I'm going to say the F sport package does not improve any vehicle that Lexus makes. And I think that's because it never it, it doesn't go far enough to improve the driving experience, but it does go far enough to chatter your teeth unnecessarily. Yeah, the suspension has always been my biggest issue. Like the L, also, even the LS, like the, the full size sedan, gets ruined yep. by the F Sport package. Um, can I also ask you about the like? I believe the RX has uh, drive modes as well. Totally sure. unnecessary. Totally <laughs> unnecessary to change, right? It's got you know it, it's the, the it's normal funny. mode and the comfort mode. You sit there going, "Did I do something? Did yeah, I change sport anything?" Sport is like a little bit more pep, I guess, in the throttle response. But there's yeah. just not a big difference. The other thing that's funny is it has an EV mode button, and yeah. I would be sitting at the light, and EV would be lit up on the dash, telling you yeah. that it's on battery only. And I would push the EV mode button, and the dash would say EV mode not available. And I'd be like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> am I not in EV mode right now?" That was the only weird part of driving the vehicle. But I have to say, 
This is the second best vehicle in the Lexus portfolio, and I understand why they're absolutely crushing it, even though they've invested not all that much in keeping it current. Like they're doing. I love that they don't have to change it, but eventually they will, and I'm curious to see what's going to happen. It's because... the Toyota Tacoma of the Lexus world. It's like a vehicle that got it right, and they don't want to mess with it because they messed with it once and made it look angular like it does now, and people took a long time to kind of stop harping on how aggressive and extroverted it looks, and people don't really talk about it anymore but i wonder if they're wary of doing that again i mean according to the sales figures that year they changed it that was 2016 sales went up by 10 percent. yeah well here's the thing though no matter what people are like yeah i meant to it that's because the lexus buyer is doesn't doesn't care what you or i say about this vehicle for the rx this is very much a do as you're told vehicle like the corolla you buy it because it's a uniform that fits really well and it's super reliable and it's comfortable and a lot of people that's what they want from a car and kudos to lexus for giving it to them in this rx i mean it's not like would you okay i need one question would you would you do you think there's a difference between picking up the hybrid or the gas model should one be better? Is one better than the other? Does the fuel matter? mileage is definitely supposed to be better in the yeah. regular one, in, in, in the hybrid. I don't know if you need to spend the extra money. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly how much of a difference it is. I'm going to check right now. But it's not a super... So the base version of the RX 450H is $48,000. Um, and it stretches... It's it's not that much more than a, a an RX 350, which okay. just has the V6. The power is also within 10 horsepower of each other. Yeah. Um, so $45,000 for a front-wheel drive RX... Or forty six thousand for all wheel drive. You're within spitting distance of the hybrid. Okay, so yeah, I think the hybrid makes way more sense. It makes sense, but you know, necess- I mean, but not necessary. No, it, it Both depends on cars deliver the same like attitude, right? Yeah, I don't think that it's going to be any more or less smooth. Cool. Um, anything else you want to add about this? Because I want to take ten more minutes to talk about um, ten more minutes. Wow. Okay, we're on the clock. I guess 10 minutes, I don't know, maybe less, about some news that popped out. No, that, that, uh, that's that's all I have to say about the RX. I'm, I'm flummoxed by how much I enjoyed my week with it, kind of miss it, to be honest, and okay. uh, not, all of that is unexpected. Um, okay. I want to talk about some stuff. Okay. First of all, Jeep, our friends at Jeep, I don't know if they're really our friends, I shouldn't, I shouldn't assume. Well, they're not um, after you said that. <laughs> they've... Um, officially officially announced the new Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. Um, these are products that you you took a look at the concept of the Grand Wagoneer um, last year. and um, last, now It was this, December. Uh, it was December? Yeah, yeah. that's last year. All right. All right, Dad. Um, and now this is the official product. It's It looks like a, a car that's going, uh, an SUV that's going after the likes of the Expedition and the Tahoe. Um, and not to mention the the premium version of those products, the um, and the Navigator. Yeah, I don't think it's too Tahoe oriented when you can buy a hundred thousand dollar version of this vehicle. Sorry, I was referring to. I think the Wagoneer, the non grand. I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> I think it's still eighty grand, isn't it? Is it really? Oh man, I didn't even take a look at the pricing yet. I don't know. I, I think. I, I mean, it's the Wagoneer. Hold on, stop it. The Wagoneer starts at fifty seven thousand dollars. Okay. Okay, the Grand Wagoneer, oh, jeez, starts at 86. Yeah, and goes up to 100 grand. Yeah, 111. Holy moly. So here are my thoughts on on these vehicles. Uh, I think that it's a missed opportunity for Jeep in a couple of ways. The first is we were told there was going to be like a 
cool hybrid electric platform of some kind available with these vehicles. I don't know if they will be eventually. But wait, wait, come on. You're telling me that Jeep's e-torque 48 volt system is not what you were expecting? No, I was expecting something that was actually like a PHEV. Oh. Uh, and instead, we got a 5.7 liter V8 and a 6.4 liter V8, if I'm not mistaken. 5.7, and um, I'm not sure 6.4. Yeah, it's good, 6.4. So it's kind of, okay. these are, yes, the motors are fine, but there's nothing that moves the needle in terms of innovation with these vehicles. They're also very heavy. I believe they're between 5,300 and 6,000 pounds. Uh, they're, at their heaviest, they are 300 pounds heavier than, a, than an Escalade. So this is a very bulky vehicle with large V8s and an exterior that honestly from the rear looks like almost any other crossover SUV out there. So the interior, I I think it's great. I'm not super enthused by the packaging. And I feel like style-wise, they might have dropped the ball in terms of making something as iconic as the original Grand Wagoneer, which is sitting in my storage locker right now. (laughs) I don't want wood paneling on the side, but I do maybe want something that doesn't just look like current Jeep Qs on a larger scale. So that's what I think about the Grand Wagoneer, Sammy. You haven't mentioned the fact that there are like 40 screens available in this car. I, I, I welcome our screen overlords, screen overlords, and I think the interior looks very nice. It's my favorite part of the vehicle. I'm looking at seven screens at least here. How many screens can you handle? I don't know. That's a lot. Um, I'm confused as to what makes this segment ripe for the for the entry of Jeep here, right? Like, to me, Jeep has this reputation um, of being rugged and off-roady, and they have the one luxury-oriented model in the Grand Cherokee. And they sell a ton of those, Sammy. Right. So why not make a bigger Grand Cherokee that you could sell for more money? And, and let's not kid ourselves. Enough. The Rubicon is super expensive for what yeah, it is. I I'm not talking about I'm – I'm just not talking about money. I'm talking about just like space in the segment. How many of these – I guess these SUVs sell every single one that they, they can make, right? Like when I it mean, comes to the, the Tahoe, Suburban, the Escalade, the Navigator, the Expedition, the – all those bad boys? Sure. Uh, but, you know, also think about vehicles like the um, – Armada? No, like Land Rover, which has a similar rugged reputation and yet sells luxury vehicles alongside with no issues. So I think that Jeep wanted a piece of that action. Is Jeep ready for that? Are people ready to appreciate a $100,000 Jeep? I don't know. We'll find out, I guess. Okay, cool. Uh, There was another car that you wanted to talk about, and now I can't find the information for it. So Uh, It's fine. I think I wanted to talk about how the Kia Stinger has a 300-horsepower four-cylinder coming next year. Yes. That's a a pretty decent, like, what, 60-horsepower bump, maybe? It is for the the four-cylinder. This is the four-cylinder version of the car. Sorry, it's a 45-horsepower bump. It's That's a new pretty two, good, it's, man. It's a new two and a half liter engine. It is pretty good. Um, I don't think you can buy the four cylinder car in Canada. I think they're all V6 turbos. Uh, but it'll do zero to 60 in 5.2 seconds, and the fuel economy is supposed to be the same. So that's pretty impressive, and hopefully that helps them move more stingers, because as we've mentioned in the past, not a lot of them getting sold, and it's a very cool car. Uh, there's a power bump for the V6 as well. It's very small. It's three horsepower. <laughs> yeah. I, need I, don't know about- why, I don't know why you would add that. Like, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you know? I want to talk about this only because the V6 stinger is in a tough place, because... I think it's very close in price to the Genesis G70, which I think is a more premium product. It feels more special. But they're two totally different segments. I mean, we, we talked about this pretty extensively when we yeah. did the review last month. So, But uh, making the four-cylinder model better is always 
is, is really appreciated. I think that's a good that's a good move for them. And uh, I wanted to give a shout out too. We had a, a a listener Dan write into us and talk about EVs, and he made a point um, talking about electric vehicles, which he's not a big fan of. But his reason for that had to do with where power comes from and uh, power costs, and you know comparing the cost of a kilowatt hour to the amount of energy that's inside a gallon of gasoline. And mm-hmm. that got me thinking. You know, the details of that vary depending on where you live. So if you're in a part of the country where uh, let's say your kilowatt hour of, of electricity costs 20 cents. I live in a, in a part of the world where it's like five, six cents per kilowatt hour. That's a yeah, huge for disparity. Me it's eight, right? And Dan like, and I do not live very far apart geographically. Yeah. So it, it can, like, it, certain regions of the continent have dramatically different uh, totally. energy costs, even though they're ostensibly in the same region. And Which can completely break the the electric vehicle argument in, in every way, right? Like and even, that, you, even you, Sammy, we were talking earlier today, and you told me that peak use hours, the cost for you is more than double what I'm paying. Yeah. Yep. So, and and, and we're, we're, we're not – we're five hours drive away from each other in the same country. So it's, it's – I'm almost a, certain we have the same electrical – like is it not hydroelectricity for both you and I? Like Quebec be. has the cheapest uh, – where I live in Quebec has the cheapest electricity in North America because right. we have so many hydro projects that, that have been done. Uh, but it, it really changes the conversation for uh, the cost feasibility of these kinds of vehicles. So it's, it's an interesting point that Dan made and thanks for writing in with that. Yes, thank you. If you want to write in just like Dan did, there's a very easy way to do that. First, you have to go to our website. It's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And there's a contact form there that you can fill out. And uh, when you do so, you hit submit and it goes into our inboxes and we get to read it and we hear all of your thoughts and it's great. Um, Additionally, you can get in touch with us the old-fashioned way through email. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And you can also reach out to us on social media. We've we've met a lot of um, listeners that way. You can reach out to Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, H-A. And if you want to um, you want to catch old episodes, you can do that at unnamedaudiblepodcast.com. They are all there, and there are also subscription buttons you can click. And your favorite um, your, your your favorite podcatcher, you'll be able to find us. We're, we're on Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, everywhere you want to be, we are there too. So you can check out. I think we're up to episode two hundred and sixteen now. So there's a lot to listen to. You can hear our metamorphosis and the the power of our our friendship just pulsing through years and years of continued arguments about. Automobiles. Indeed. Pulsing. Um, ben, what are you driving next week? Pulsing is a word I don't use often enough, Sammy. No, I can never like, find think, a use for it in my writing. We understand why. <laughs> it's a word that does put people on edge. Yeah. And, and with that, <laughs> and with that, next week, I'm going to be driving the Genesis GV80, Sammy, and I'm super excited about it. I've been looking forward to it for a while. And I'll be driving, oh man, the Acura TLX. Oh wow, so that's a great episode if you haven't listened to any of our past episodes. That's true. It's, a, it's just an opportunity for us to compare notes and see who's right and who's wrong. It's going to be Sammy's turn to dunk, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll talk to you next week, Ben. All right, bye-bye, everybody. Bye.